0: Training camp closed yesterday. The team will be moving from St. Vincent College down to the south side. And I've got MVPs, plural. Good morning to you. Good Friday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Steelers. It comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into hockey and or baseball, I also cover two other teams in town, Penguins and the Pirates, and do daily shots on them as well. All year round. There were a lot of performances, individual performances to like in Latrobe. And now that camp is closed and there's, you know, one preseason game out of the way, the next one, of course, is coming tomorrow night at AccraShare Stadium against the Bills. I'm going to name co MVPs. But before I do, I'm going to highlight some Others who would have received recognition, like honorable mention type recognition from me, because I really, really liked and told you this many times what I saw of Kenny Pickett. He's the most important guy, so you could move him to the top just based on that. But we're having some fun here, not to be taken too seriously. Nick Herbig, young guy, rookie. Who's really shown well at outside linebacker. And by the way, in doing so, really solved a lot of potential problems because you did not know who was going to be behind TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith. I can throw in Keanu Benton, Dan Moore, still the starting left tackle, Anthony McFarland, Calvin Austin, Gunnar Olszewski. You know, there's just a, there's a, there's a, Good feeling that there's a significant number of names that you could put into this pile. But the pile is going to be topped, at least in my own little pile, by two wide receivers. Not one, but two. One of them you know because he's made all the splash everywhere and he's going to continue doing so. That's George Pickens. George has not only... Achieved the spectacular on a regular basis, just lighting up something or someone every day, and then pulling off that 33-yard big run after the catch touchdown in Tampa a week ago today. He's done everything, and that's been the part that's the most impressive for me. George has run different routes. George has come back to the football. George has broken away from the pack with the football. George has caught it over his shoulder. George has caught it down at his shoelaces. George has done everything. And not enough can be spoken for the potential that he shows. Because every time you think you've seen him maxed out, he'll do something else to remind you that, uh uh-uh, he's not there yet. He might not even be close to there yet. But there's a reason that I can't just solo him at MVP. And that's because another wide receiver who's been around for a while and who's certainly taken his share of hits, including on this particular program, might be the team's single most consistent Performer on either side of the football through these couple of weeks. Deontay Johnson has had a hell of a camp. Now, is it going to show the way George's does? No, no. But think about that opening drive in Tampa and how it was crafted from beginning to end. And you'll have a really full understanding of why both are needed at a pretty much equal level for this offense to succeed. Because somebody's got to get you there. Somebody's got to cover the bulk of that ground to get you into striking distance. Reasonable striking distance for splash plays is not 60 or 70 yards, or they'd happen all the time as opposed to forcing people to go running to the record books. you got to get across midfield. To start thinking about avoiding a punting situation, you gotta get into field goal range. You gotta get into the red zone before you can score from the red zone. Deontay is looking finally to me like he's ready to be that guy. Is he gonna end this coming season with zero touchdowns as he did last season? I would certainly think not. But is he gonna be your touchdown guy? By the end of this year, probably not either. I could see Kenny targeting Pat Fryermuth. I could see him targeting Alan Robinson, who's scored a few. I could see Darnell Washington. I could see Connor Hayward, who's shown a really nice touch once you get close to the goal line. So it doesn't have to be Deontay, but you need a starter and a finisher. To me, George is going to be the guy who either gets you that one big splash to get you from your own end of the field to somewhere in the other end, or he's going to hit the home run like he did in Tampa, but he's probably not. This isn't doubting him. This isn't dismissing him, but he's probably not going to be that guy that you go to three, four consecutive times down the field. He's yet to show that feel, that rhythm, that versatility when it comes to route running. And I will remind that there aren't many, if any, in the NFL who are better at that specific trait than Deontay is. You need them both. You want them both to be your co-MVPs. You really do. Oh, and one other thing related to this. I've mentioned to you guys that I had a pretty good talk with Deontay in Tampa. We spoke for quite a while, actually. And while he acknowledged he wasn't perfect in 2022, and he most certainly wasn't, he also spoke really candidly about some of the shortcomings that were part of the offense in general. And that wasn't finger pointing. That wasn't saying I'm better than them or anything like that. It was reality-based stuff. Kenny was, in fact, a rookie quarterback who didn't really get a chance to even play until a month into the season. Didn't have a training camp, didn't have a summer. They didn't have any of those sessions that they've had this year to prepare for all of their offseason activity. And what I liked most about what he told me was that his confidence in what he can do this season is rooted in a broader confidence about the offense as a whole, including the running game, including all of the additional depth, including how they've bolstered the offensive line, but especially, especially the maturation of the quarterback. When we come back, J1Q... Today's J1Q comes from Bob, who, in reference to yesterday's J1Q, has this to say. Hi, DK. I wanted to let you know that I thought you were a little tough on Frank. His original question to you was, why is it okay for ball carriers to lower their heads but not tacklers? Admittedly, the rest of Bob's statement went completely off the rails, but I was hoping to still hear an answer to that question have you ever heard what's the nfl's reasoning regarding who can lower their head and when yes bob i have yes bob i was rough on frank yes bob frank definitely had it coming with some of those remarks near the end utterly and callously dismissing player safety that's not one where i'm gonna back off not player safety not when I saw Ryan Shazier go down. Not when I've seen people that I know, respect, and admire go down. I'm staying on player safety. But at the same time, you're also correct that I never really did answer Bob's question. So I'm going to give that a shot. Because back in 2013, when the NFL put in the rule with hopes of making it clear that nobody can lead with the crown of the helmet, that there would be a 15-yard spot foul if the ball carrier, this includes the running back, obviously, ball carrier, quote now, initiates forcible contact by delivering a blow with the crown of the helmet, end quote, while the carrier and defenders, of course, are both outside The tackle box, you can't stop a running back from doing that inside the tackle box. I mean, you're running forward. You've got to protect yourself. So that's one distinction between what happened with Quan Alexander, which absolutely was a penalty and should have been a penalty and was appropriately flagged as Terrell Austin himself piped up two days after the game down there. So take the tackle box. Category and just move it off to the side because that is one area where running backs can still go the full Earl Campbell. Just put the head down, snort like a bull and go. But when you're outside the tackle box, you're going around edge, you catch a ball on a screen pass, or for that matter, you're a wide receiver. Ball carrier means ball carrier. It doesn't have to be a running back. If you look like you're going at somebody, With the crown of the helmet, you should be flagged. That's the rule. There appears to be a broad misperception that running backs are exempted from the rule. They're not. In fact, in 2013, only 10 years ago, this clarification was issued to specifically cite ball carriers. So running back goes outside... That tackle box screen pass, one of those, you know, awful Matt Canada sideways throws to somebody over there. That's the wide receiver screen, the bubble screen. You can't lead with the crown of the helmet. Now, I know what you're thinking right now, and I'm sure a lot of people are thinking as they hear me say this, but they do it all the time and it's never penalized. And it's true. It's true. The reason for that. From everything that I know in football circles is that they've just decided the NFL's officiating world that the term forcible really needs to be something that's visible, that's striking, no pun intended, that's so obvious that they can't help but throw a flag on it. Otherwise, they're just going to let it go. So what does a forcible application of the crown of the helmet look like from a ball carrier? I'm not sure I can even picture that. Do they have to, like, nod the head forward into someone's chest? Do they have to go helmet on helmet? Because if it's the latter, then Joe Mixon ought to be in jail or something. No no uh, pun intended there either. But they absolutely do let ball carriers get away with that i appreciate the question i appreciate everyone listening to daily shot of steelers football game tomorrow night bonus daily shot coming sunday morning after the game so let's hook up again then all right